0: 4 and I actually got a few different places that we're going to turn to that I think will enhance the message tonight and so Galatians 4 will be our text and then I'll ask you to turn to Isaiah 54 so Isaiah 54 and put a marker there we'll come to that in the course of the message and then we're going to start off in Genesis 21 okay I know that was a lot so I'll give you a few, minutes here to find your places. So Galatians chapter 4, Isaiah 54, and Genesis 21. And we're going to begin in Genesis 21. Of course, you know, as we've been going through Galatians, we've touched a lot on the life of Abraham. And so I wanted to take us back to deal with a specific text that Paul is going to quote from and allude to, and so that's why we'll be in Genesis 21, and then we'll also uh, be in Isaiah 54, because he quotes from Isaiah 54, verse 1, and we'll come to that a little bit later. So if you found your places there and you're in Genesis 21, if you'll stand in honor of God's word, then we'll read a few verses from here before going on to Galatians 4. So Genesis chapter 21, and we'll begin our reading in verse number nine, and we'll read through verse 12. The Bible says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. And the idea here is she's, he's mocking Isaac. Ishmael is mocking Isaac. Verse 10, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. All right, let's turn to Galatians chapter four and our text, and you'll see clearly why we, Read from there to start. So, Galatians chapter four, and we'll begin our reading in verse twenty-one, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Galatians four, verse twenty-one. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bond woman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar in Mount, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is the Jerusalem Right now, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, okay, that's a different Jerusalem. That's not Jerusalem as we know it. That's the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's why he says, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not for the desolate hath made many more hath many more children than she which hath an husband now we brethren as isaac was are the children of promise but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit even so it is now you know what he's saying there just as ishmael was mocking isaac the son of the flesh was mocking the son of the free. So it's happening right now. The Judaizers, the sons of the flesh, those who are after bondage, those who are after the law, they are persecuting those who are free. That's what he's saying. So, verse 30, nevertheless, what saith the scripture? And this is what we read in Genesis cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, this is really his final doctrinal argument here. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. That is who we are. So the title of our message for tonight is this, finally and Forever free, finally and forever free. So may God bless your evening, his word. You can be seated. We'll get into our passage for tonight. We sang that old hymn tonight by Philip Bliss, entitled Once for All, Once for All. It was written over 150 years ago, but it rings with a truth that goes back to creation. And that truth is this that God had a plan to deliver man from his fallen condition that leaves him in the bondage to sin. And his plan, part of that plan, was to bring about the Old Testament law. And the reason for that, as we've seen laid out here in Galatians, was so that the law would bring us to Christ, that it would show us our sin and consequentially our need of a Savior. Our need of a Savior but the law was never intended by God to be a means of salvation, righteousness, or acceptance with God. That was never his intention. It was solely to bring us to our need of a Savior. Well, what it did was it showed us this. We needed a Savior who could fulfill the law. Why? Because we couldn't. (laughs) There was no way for us to live up To God's standard so we needed somebody who could and Jesus came and he did and he died on the cross for our sins so that he could deliver us from the bondage and the curse of the law as well as the bondage and curse of sin and I want to tell you that God's intention was that that payment would be final and would be once for all think of the words to that first verse of that song. Free from the law, O happy condition, Jesus hath bled and there is remission, cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, but grace hath redeemed us once for all. And that chorus, once for all, O sinner, receive it, once for all, O friend, now believe it. Cling to the cross, the burden will fall. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. That's really Paul's message here in the book of Galatians. Jesus died and rose again to break the chains of the law and sin in our lives. But we all are well aware and we've probably even experienced at times ourselves that there are still some who live under the bondage of works based religion as well as the bondage to their sin. Even Christians at times can still be bound by their sin. The Judaizers in Galatia believed that Paul's gospel of all faith and no law rewrote the hymn to say this, free from the law, oh happy condition, now I can sin with Jesus' permission. Well, that's what they said. I mean, if you think about it, some of the things that we've discussed here, they taught that if you don't keep the law, then you're bound to just go back into the chains of sin again. They taught even that according to Paul's gospel, that if, if Paul's gospel is true, that it's all of faith and nothing of law, then that makes Christ the facilitator of sin itself. We've seen that in this book. And so that's what they were saying. But what Paul is doing is he's, he's teaching that that's not the case, that rather what happens is when Christ, according to the end of chapter two, when Christ lives within you, and he gives you the Holy Spirit to convict and govern your life, if that is true, then you will not go back into sin. You'll live right where Jesus wants you to live, and that is in freedom, freedom from bondage. And so he shows them that actually what what brings you into bondage is going back to the law. See, while they're trying to promote... What keeps you free from sin is keeping the law. But what Paul is saying is keeping the law sends you back into bondage. And so how could the Galatians know? How could they really know that they were finally at last and forever free from the bondage of the law? And free from the bondage of sin at the same time. Because let's go back to our very first lesson that that one of the things that prompted the Judaizers coming in and getting such a following was they were saying, you know, we love God and we don't want to go back into our paganism, but we don't know. I mean, what's going to keep us from doing that? And the Judaizers said, keep the law and you won't go back in. And so whether we're talking about freedom from the bondage of sin or freedom from the bondage to the law, how could they know they would be free? Why? Why does God say that they are free from the law? And how is it possible for you today to live finally and forever free from the law, or from the bondage, whether of law or of sin? That's what we want to consider from our text tonight. What Paul does here is he points the Judaizers actually back to the law. He shows them that the law itself contains the evidence of our freedom in Christ. And so what he does is he Points them back to the births of Isaac and Ishmael, a story the Judaizers would have been very familiar with. He says in verse number 21, Tell me, now you tell me, that's what he's, you know, you tell now, maybe he's turned his attention away from the Galatians. You think of what we were looking at last week, that very pastoral message where he was pleading with them to be as he is, to be on the same page. And he's trying to plead the back and he says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to bring you back because I'm at a loss for what it's going to take. It's like he's been talking to directly to the Galatians and now he's going to turn his attention to the Judaizers. And he says, you tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? (laughs) You know what he's saying there? The law itself will tell you that you don't need to be under it anymore, okay? Look at verse 23, or 22, excuse me. For for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. And now he's going to point out the difference between these two sons in verse 23. But he who is of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Now, what what is this talking about? Well, If you've been here in our study of Genesis on Sunday nights, this is going to make all the sense in the world. But for those who are not, I'm going to take a little bit of time to explain it here. That what happened is God has showed up in Abraham's life and he told him, I'm going to make of you a great and mighty nation and I'm going to make multitude of nations out of you and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through you. And I'm going to give the land of Canaan to your seed, and they will be my people and I will be their God. And so God has made this tremendous promise well through this child that god had promised is where the blessings would be secure but the problem is that abraham and sarah are old and well stricken in age that they've gotten into their 70s and their 80s by the time the first promise of the child comes around and and about 10 years passes or so or 15 years and and god says in in chapter 17 you are going to have a child And Abraham laughs. And then in chapter 18, he tells Sarah, you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughs. Well, it was laughable to them because of their age, because it was physically impossible. It says in chapter 18 that it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And so it was literally impossible for them to have a child. Well, along the way, they decided that instead of trusting God and in their weakness of faith, that they were going to come up with their own plan. And so Sarah says, here, Abraham, I want you to take my Egyptian handmaid, Hagar. And in a very culturally acceptable way in their day and time, she said she's going to be the surrogate mother for the child of promise. And so you have a child by her. And uh, and when they did that with a handmaid, then that first child would belong to the mother of the household. And so that was that was their plan. They thought, God, you need some help here. And so we're going to help you out. See, here's the thing. Hagar conceives, has a son by the name of Ishmael. But God comes to them and says, Ishmael will not be the child of promise. Ishmael was their plan. That was outside the scope of God's plan. And so let's put it this way. Ishmael was born after the works of the flesh. It was not the child that God had promised. It was the child that they came up with on their own. And so over here, you've got Hagar and Ishmael, the bondwoman, the bond son. But then what happens is God does visit them according to the time of life. And Sarah does conceive, according to Hebrews chapter 11, because of her faith, that by faith, she received strength to conceive seed. And so evidently, along the way, her faith was strengthened. It was reassured by God. And, and through faith, she conceived a child gave birth to him and called his name Isaac and so maybe to sum this up over here you have Ishmael the works of the flesh over here you have Isaac the promise of God faith okay and so that's what he's talking about here as he as he opens up his uh, illustration now what Paul does is he explains in verse 24 that he's going to use the birth of these two sons as an allegory of the two covenants. Now, you'll notice there in verse 24, it says, which things are an allegory. Now, when we think of an allegory, we think that you're viewing something as as mystical, symbolic, of a weird nature, that kind of thing. But when you study what this original word is, this is a transliteration of the word allegoramina. I think I said that right. Allegoronimo. Ger, ger, <laughs> Allegoronima. Geramina. There we go. Anyways, so it's transliterated from that allegoramina, Allegori. Okay, but the, the literal meaning, this is two words put together. You have the word alos at the beginning, which is a word that means other of a different kind, other of a different nature, and then you have the word agoromio, uh, agoromio, whatever. It's a word that means to uh, to speak publicly, okay? So when you put these together, what it means is that he is giving a public speech about something in different terms than what would be normal, okay? That's literally what it means. Here, here's what he's talking about here, that I, I am going to, uh, this isn't, This isn't the way we normally look at this passage, is what he's saying. (laughs) This isn't the literal meaning of the passage, but it is a figure. It is a shadow from which we can learn New Testament truth. That's what he's saying. And so he's not just making up something. He's not interpreting the Bible allegorically. What he's doing is he's, I mean, think about the time he spent with Jesus. Jesus taught, it says that Jesus taught his disciples and expounded all things about himself from the scriptures, from the law and the prophets. And so evidently he took the time with his apostles to go through some of these Old Testament passages and say, here's the picture, see how it relates. And that's what evidently happened here. Here. And so he says, I'm going I'm to speak to you in t- different terms. I'm going to use this as an analogy. So look at verse 24. Which things are an allegory for these two sons are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth, that word uh, gendereth, it, it means, uh, I had it a second ago, now it's out of my mind. Why can't I get anything straight here, okay? Um, gendereth I didn't write this one down great <laughs> um, the word gendereth means to be parallel there we go gendereth it means to or no no give birth that's the one that I was thinking of give birth I'm, I'm two words away here so this particular word gendereth it means to give birth okay so let's try to hit this again it says which are two covenants the one from Mount Sinai which gendereth or giveth birth to bondage, which is Hagar, okay? So Hagar was the bondmaid. It says in verse 25, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Now, why all this detail, okay? Well, what happens is when Ishmael and Hagar are cast out, they end up in Arabia, okay? And he's the father of the Arab nations. And so that's where they settle. Well, Mount Sinai was in Arabia, And so he's trying to tie all these together. What he's doing, if I could just paint the picture for you, is he's cutting a line here in the middle, and he's going to put all these different things on this side, and he's going to put all these different things on this side that all mean the same thing and picture the same thing, okay? And so he's over here. He says you have Ishmael, you have Hagar, you have Mount Sinai. Those are all representative of each other, okay? And so that means that Sinai is, is the mother like Hagar, okay? And Mount Sinai gendereth, giveth birth to bondage the same way that Hagar gave birth to a bondservant child named Ishmael, okay? So you've got those over there. And then it says in verse 25, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, okay? Okay. Now watch up here. I'm going to try to paint the picture for you again. Jerusalem, which now is. That was Jerusalem as it was in the day that Paul was writing this letter. He puts Jerusalem as it is in the same category as Sinai, Hagar, and Ishmael. Okay? Because it says at the end of verse 25, and is in bondage with her children. (laughs) Okay? And so what, what he's doing here is he's grouping Jerusalem, present-day Jerusalem, and Sinai uh, together. He's saying these are together. Why? They're both in bondage. Why? They're both keeping the law. The law was given to Israel at Mount Sinai, and so they were bound to the law. The Jews in Jerusalem today that rejected the Lord Jesus Christ are still under the same bondage their fathers were in the Old Testament covenant, which is the Old Testament law, as given at Mount Sinai. Okay, so he's saying whether we're talking about the Jews back then or we're talking about Jews today that follow the law and not Christ. They're all grouped over here into this category, the works of the flesh, the works of the law, works based righteousness, works based acceptance with God. Okay, that's what he's grouping these into. Now look at verse 26. But Jerusalem, which is above. Okay, that's a different one. What's this talking about? The new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, the one of which Revelation speaks that it ascends and descends between heaven and earth, the new earth, okay? It's, it's kind of weird to get, but the picture from Revelation is like God burns up the old earth, he creates a new earth, he creates a new heaven, and somewhere in between is this new city of Jerusalem that hovers between them, and we go back and forth from each and every place, <laughs> That's the picture. So you've got this heavenly city now. And what does he say about it in verse 26? It is free. So let's put it on this side. Okay. Sarah, Isaac, the heavenly Jerusalem. And now look what it says at the end of verse 26, which is the mother of us all. What's he talking about there? All those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, for righteousness, for acceptance with God. Those who are part of the new covenant are on this side. The mother of us all. That includes Jews and that includes Gentiles. Everybody who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so he's putting all of these uh, together and and he's, he's dividing them up and saying over here, whether we're talking about Hagar, Ishmael, Sinai, modern day Jerusalem, this is the works of the flesh. This is the old covenant. Okay, these two boys and their mothers are examples of the old covenant and the new covenant. Hagar and Ishmael represent the Sinaitic covenant, the law of Moses, the works of the flesh. Those are all pictured in together together And over here with Sarah and Isaac and the new Jerusalem, this is by faith, by promise. And so he's cutting a difference here between all of these. All right, now, what Paul's going to do in verse 27 is he quotes from Isaiah 54 and verse 1. It says, For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, Thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Everybody got that? Makes sense. We can move on now. (laughs) It's a little tough for us to grasp. Uh, Just pulling this one verse out of context, but evidently this is a verse and and a chapter that Paul went through with the Galatians because it's supposed to make all the sense in the world to them. But because it doesn't to us, now turn to Isaiah 54. I want to go there, boy. I'm going to tell you this is one of the best parts of the message right here. And so buckle up. Isaiah 54. And what I want to do is let's read uh, all of verses 1 through verse 5. Actually, let's just read verse 1 to start, okay? Verse 1 of Isaiah 54, this is the verse that Paul quoted in verse 27 of Galatians 4. Sing, you'll notice a little bit of difference in translation here because of the difference between the Hebrew and the Greek originals. But you'll see this. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate, Than the children of the married wife saith the Lord. Now, what is this talking about? Okay, in the book of Isaiah, what has happened is the nation of Israel has been divided in two because the sins of Solomon. And so now you have the northern uh, tribes of Israel and you have the southern tribe of Judah. And at times, Benjamin was along with them as well. So you've got Israel, northern Israel has already been taken away captive. And now Judah has failed to keep the Old Testament law. They have failed to keep the covenant. Surprise, nobody can. And so they have failed to keep the covenant. And as a result, Isaiah chapter 51 says that God has written them a bill of divorcement. He has divorced his people. God paints this picture that he has entered into a marriage covenant with the nation of Israel. But now because of their spiritual infidelity, they're turning to idolatry and and wizardry and witchcraft and all of those things. Because of their turning away and their spiritual infidelity, God says, I have divorced you. Here's what that means. The husband is gone. The husband's out of the picture. That leaves the nation of Israel behind as the wife, barren, unable to have children because the husband's absence, And desolate, poor, uninhabited. And what this is referring to is the Babylonian captivity. That because of their sin, they're going to be carried away captive into Babylon. The land, Jerusalem in particular, is going to be left desolate. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The walls broken down. The temple burned. Everything completely obliterated. It is desolate and barren. Now, this chapter is specifically about the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. If you were to look at verse 11, it says, O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy windows of egg and thy gates of carbuncles and all thy borders of pleasant stones. And so this is really a parallel verse to Revelation chapter 21 when it talks about the heavenly New Jerusalem coming down. So you can see the context here that Paul talked about, the Jerusalem which is from above, okay? And so what's happening here is that while Israel is scattered and while their land is desolate in the captivity, this prophecy fast-forward to a new Jerusalem, a Jerusalem that will be full of rejoicing and singing. (laughs) One that says there in verse 1, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, Break forth into singing and cry aloud. Shout out loud. And so it's going to be an exciting time. Why? Because this Jerusalem that comes forth from barrenness will bear more children than she did when she was married. Okay, let's read it. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate then the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. And so what he's saying here is back when Israel was in a right relationship with God and before they had broken the covenant relationship with God, they were married, they had children, their nation spread, they got the land of Israel under the King David. They had all the land that God intended for them to have from the great river of Egypt to the Euphrates. They had it all. But what he says is that after this barrenness, when the people are regathered together, they are going to have more children than they had before when they were in the right relationship with God. How is that possible? Look at verse two. Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. Hold on just a second. You get the idea here that what he's saying is you're going to have more children then, than you had before, so there needs to be an expansion project going on here. Lengthen the cords of your tent, spread out your curtains, let's make room, okay? Why do we need to make room? He says, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles. (laughs) Do you see it here? What he's saying is it's not just going to be the Jews anymore. Here's how you're going to have more children. Then the Gentiles are going to come in. The Gentiles are going to become a part of your seed. They're going to inherit the land right there along with you in this new Jerusalem. And so it's got to be bigger. It's got to be wider. It says, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore, for thy maker is thine husband. There's going to be a time when God re-enters into this marriage covenant with them. The Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, watch this, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. You know what that means? In this day, he's no longer going to be called the God of the Jewish people. He's going to be called the God of the whole earth. He's going to have many more children than he did just when he was married with Israel. And so this heavenly Jerusalem is expanded. How does it become expanded? How does God become the God of the whole earth? Well, was it through the law? How how does it say all these Gentiles were going to come in? Look back at chapter 53 and verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation for he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had no he done no violence neither was any deceit in his mouth yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors." And the chapter break is not there in the original. That is when it breaks out into sing, O barren thou that didst not bear. Do you see what's happening here? God is on a mission of expanding his kingdom. And what his desire is, is to bring the Gentiles into his kingdom. And how would he bring the Gentiles into his kingdom? Was it through the works of the law was it through circumcision? Was it through dietary laws and holy days? Was it through Sinai? Was it through the works of the flesh? No, it was by the promise of the Savior. It was by faith in Jesus, the Messiah who would come and would, would, would be the atoning sacrifice once for all, finally and forever forever. And it was after his redemptive work on the cross of Calvary is how this new Jerusalem would be expanded to include the Gentiles like you and me tonight. So with that in mind, think about Paul inserting this verse into Galatians 4. What's his argument here? The Judaizers were saying, you want to be accepted with God? You want to be a child of God? You want to be in his kingdom? You want to be more righteous? You want to get out of bondage? Well, here's what you need to do. You need to become a Jew. And Paul's argument has been, it's not about being a Jew. It's not about keeping the law. It's not about the works of the flesh. It's about the promise through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. What Paul's getting across through this quotation here is that God's plan all along was to bring the Gentiles into the inheritance of the Jews, not through the bondage of the law, but through the freedom of the cross. Back to Galatians 4. What Paul's going to do now is he's going to apply this truth to their situation. Verse 28, Galatians 4, 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. How? Through, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. See, here's the picture again, okay? He's got the works of the flesh over here. What Paul's doing is he's coming to the Galatians and he's saying, you don't belong over here with Ishmael. You don't belong over here with Hagar. You don't belong over here with Sinai. You don't even belong here with Jews present to this day. You belong over here on the side of faith, along with Sarah and Isaac and that new heavenly Jerusalem of which you are a citizen. This is where you belong. Not with Ishmael, but with Isaac. But just as it was back then, it still is today. Look at verse 29. But as then, he that was born after the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. See, as we read in Genesis chapter 21, just as Ishmael, as a 14-year-old big burly man, he's laughing at this little one or two-year-old pipsqueak, mocking him making fun of him being a thorn in this little toddler's side and you know what paul's saying just as that was going on then it's still happening today these judaizers who belong over here with ishmael and sinai they desire to be under the law those that desire to be under the law they are coming over here to those who have freedom in christ and they're seeking to persecute you and to afflict you. And they're, they're looking to demean you because you're a Gentile, because you were not, uh, you were not part of this. No, they're, they're persecuting, they're afflicting, they're inflicting damage on your church and they're pulling you away from Jesus Christ and back into their bondage. Okay, Paul, what do we do then? What do we do? Verse 30, nevertheless, what saith the scripture? This is what we read in Genesis 21. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. He's saying, here's what you need to do. You need to take those Judaizers and you need to cast them out. Here's what he's saying. Just as Ishmael was not intended by God to coexist with Isaac the son of promise, neither is Hagar Sinai old Jerusalem, Ishmael, n- neither is the law supposed to coexist with faith. That's what he's saying. Do you see it there? It doesn't belong. Cast them out. Because that was what Sarah appealed to, wasn't it? He's, he is mocking. He is afflicting. He is persecuting the son of promise. Cast him out. They are not to coexist. It grieves Abraham at his heart. Why? Because this is his firstborn son, but God tells him, don't let this be grievous. You listen to your wife because this son will not coexist with this son. I don't know that it gets any more clear than that, that the law is not to coexist with faith, just like Ishmael and Hagar were not to coexist with Sarah and Isaac. And then he nails it home in verse 31. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. You don't belong over there, you belong over here. Paul taught the Galatians that they were free from the law because God's plan for the redeemed is not that they should be bound, but that they should be free. That's his message to them. And that message is still true for us today. That God's plan for you as his redeemed child is not that you would be bound, but that you would be free. The entire intent of Galatians is to show you that Christ's sacrificial death on the cross finally and forever freed you from the curse of the law that Jesus became cursed so you could become free. That's what this entire book is about. And so that means there's nothing that you can do in the works of your flesh and the works of the law to get you more into the new Jerusalem than you already belong. There's nothing you can do uh, by the works of the law that can make you more of a child of God. There's nothing that you can do by the works of the law that make you more recipient of God's grace through Jesus Christ. It can't get you more of the Holy Spirit. It can't get you a better place in heaven. It can't get you a better place here on earth with God either. Why? Because it never could in the first place. So why would God make it that once he has saved you by grace, once he has accepted you through Christ, once he has made you his child through Christ and given you a citizenship and made you an heir of all those promises, why would he all of a sudden go back and say no the way you get favor with me is through something you could never get favor with me in the first place it doesn't make sense see what jesus accomplished on the cross for you was final and it was forever it didn't just bring you to certain length and then something else had to come and finish it no it was enough It was sufficient. And so that means that there's no point in going back to the law for acceptance with God because all the law will do is take you back to Mount Sinai. All it'll do is take you back to Ishmael, take you back to Hagar, take you back to old Jerusalem and group you in with the same people who rejected Christ and are living their lives by the law. That's all it does, brings you back into bondage. If that's where you are, and if that's your, and if you're trying to earn your salvation or if you're trying to earn your way to heaven or work yourself into God's favor and acceptance, you'll never get there because your righteousness will never be enough because your transgressions are far too many. They'll never be enough. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. The chastisement of our peace, was laid upon him. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. When, he, when God sees the travail of his soul groaning on the cross, he is satisfied. And he says, by his knowledge, my, my righteous servant, Jesus Christ, shall justify many, shall declare many righteous through his death. And he wants to justify you tonight. And through faith in the death of Jesus Christ and his provisional atonement, you can be saved, you can be forgiven, and you can be finally and forever free in Christ. But I realize tonight that the vast majority of us have not necessarily been freed from the bondage of the law because as Gentiles, we were without law. I was never brought up having to keep sacrifices and dietary laws and all those feasts and everything. I wasn't brought up that way. And so that's not the kind of bondage that I was necessarily delivered. Of. I was delivered from the curse of the law that was upon my head, death, separation from God. I was bound by that curse, but I wasn't in the bondage of the law. But I can tell you this, that we have been freed from some binding force of sin in our lives. Every one of us has been. Some have been bound by alcohol. They just can't seem to get out of that habit. Some have been bound by tobacco and by drugs and the feelings and the highs that they get from those chemicals. It just keeps uh, pulling them back in and bringing them back to it. Some are bound by lust. They can't keep their minds out of the gutter. Uh, It's like there's a binding pull from magazines and websites and TV shows and movie channels. And it just keeps continuously beckoning them to come and to, to get their fix. There are some who are bound by their past, that because of what's happened to their past, they're imprisoned to it, and they view every single person, and they view every single situation of life through the lens of their past hurts or their past failures, and they just can't seem to get over it. It's got them bound, and they can't live in freedom and liberty and clarity of conscience because they're living so based upon their past. They're bound to it. It could be past mistakes that guilt haunts, that constantly rears up its head. Your body might bear the marks of your past life. Some are bound by physical pain, and so they cut themselves trying to reduce the pains of their experiences. They fill themselves up and numb themselves with prescription drugs and with antidepressants, and they can't seem to get off it. Some are bound by anger. It just takes one thing to not go the way they want and they explode. It's it's like impulse, it's a habit in their life. Some are bound by greed, the constant pursuit of that extra money and so they're constantly looking at their careers page for the company they work for and they're looking for the next highest paying job and and the next one that they can apply for or it might be that they're they're uh, just trying to get one more dollar and they're constantly pursuing it and they're 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 living for that or it might be that they spend a weekend going to vegas and and they pull all those those bars from the slot machines and they're they're gambling away and they keep going after it and even though they've lost, it keeps pulling them back to it and then they come home far more broke than they went and then yet they go again the next weekend or they decide, you know what, Blackhawk's a little closer and so I go out to Blackhawk every weekend and before you know it, their lives are just bound by it. Some are bound by their phone. <laughs> they follow their rugged, regiment of get of of getting their phone and opening it up and they go to ESPN and they check their scores and they read the news articles and then there's not enough there. And so then they go on to Facebook and they begin to scroll through their friends and they begin to look for new friends. And then and then they decide, okay, I'm done with that. So they go to Twitter and they begin looking at the, the latest news. And then they go on to Instagram and they go on to Snapchat. And once they're done with that, then they go on their favorite news site and they begin reading articles about things that just infuriates them and <laughs> feeds that rage within them to where they're exploding at their phone. And Before you know it, they've spent well over an hour staring at this tiny little screen and they can't get their eyes off and they can't set it down for more than five minutes without going and looking at something else. I'm telling you, it can be binding and that is bondage, my friend. But God does not intend for his redeemed children to live their lives shackled in bondage. So what do I do if I'm living my life in some sort of bondage? Well, the same thing Paul told the Galatians to do with the Judaizers. You need to cast out of your life whatever is attempting to bring you back into bondage. If it's alcohol, cast it out. If it's cigarettes, cast them out. If it's drugs, rid your life. Of them, But I don't know if I can. I've done them for too much. I've been hooked on them for so long. I've been bound for so long. Well, listen, I'm going to make this statement that might rub us the wrong way at first, but I want you to consider its truth. Either Christ is of sufficient power to free you from your bound condition or his death was in vain. Paul said, hey, if Christ could only get you here, then he's dead in vain. If Christ could only get you saved, but couldn't free you from sin, then his death didn't really matter. Isaiah 53 said, by his stripes, we are healed. We're healed. Yeah, you may have some scars, but you're healed. You're no longer in a place of recovery. You're no longer trying to get over what was in your past. You're healed. You've forgiven yourself because you realize he's forgiven you in spite of knowing all that you had done. And so the question here is not whether or not Jesus can free you. It's really this, whether or not you want him to free you. Some just don't want to be freed from this. Some just don't want to be freed from alcohol. They just don't want to be freed from drugs. They love it too much. They don't want to be freed from lust. They love the hide that they get every time they scroll to a different page. They just love it so much. They don't want to be freed. But I'm going to tell you this. If you really want to be freed, Jesus will make you free. If you have influences in your life that are taking you back into bondage, it may be a spiritual uh, influence that would lead you back into a works-based religious system. Or it could be an old friend or maybe an old high school flame. They're people, so you need to be gentle, but you need to cast them out. You need to cast them out. If you come from a new age system of belief, you don't need to surround yourself by a bunch of new agers. You don't need to surround yourself even with new agers who have come to Christ. Because what they're bringing with them to Christ... Is all of these old things. And and I say this because I've already seen it right here at this church that it'll send you right back into the bondage of New Age mysticism and it'll just attach Jesus' name to it. What you need are some people who know their Bible, some people who love the Lord, some people who might be able to teach you some things that didn't make sense to you before. Those are the influences you need, not the ones that'll take you back into bondage. If your past continually haunts you, you need to cast it out. If you've been hurt in your past, Jesus has the power to free you from that hurt and to stop letting it shape your view of every person and everything that happens in your life. He's able. Jesus has the power to free you from anger, from gossip, from greed, and from vice. If you struggle with lust, you might need to cast out a TV. You might need to cast out a computer. You might need to take your really high-tech smartphone and trade it in for a good old low-tech flip phone like we used to have. Somehow we survived all those decades without all this information and all this technology in the palm of our hands. I promise you can do it again and you know what'll happen? It'll pull you out of bondage and it'll get you back in the freedom where Christ intends for you to be. If you're bound to your phone, maybe you need to call a fast. You know, you can fast from things other than food. Maybe take your phone and Lock it in a safe and give somebody else the passcode to that. And, and you just decide, I'm going to take, take a day. I'm going to take three days. I'm going to take a whole week to just cut off from my phone. And I'm going to interact with people and my family and reconnect with people who are really important in my life. God's plan for you as his redeemed child is not that you would be bound, but that you would be free. And he did what it took to free you from every sin that binds you, from every religious system that wants to hold you in bondage. And it wasn't through the works of the law. It wasn't through human effort alone. No, it was because he came and allowed himself to be bound. God was bound in human flesh, limited his ability, limited his knowledge, limited his many different things, limited himself to a baby's body, He allowed himself to be bound in the hands of sinful, wicked men. He allowed himself to be bound to a cross with nails through his hands and his feet. He allowed himself to be brought down and bound inside of a cold, dark tomb that was sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers for three days and three nights. But on that third day, he rose from the grave and and nothing could bind him. Death the grave could no longer bind him. And the reason why he went through all that was so he could take your sin and he could hang it on that cross with his body and he could bind it and bury it in that tomb, but raise you back to walk in newness of life and in a new final and forever freedom that you never have to go back to that bondage again if you'll live in the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. He's willing to set you free if you'll trust in him and only then will you be finally free in christ and god's intent is that you would forever remain so so let me just ask you tonight are you bound or are you free if there's anything in your life keeping you in bondage cast it out so you can be free Lord, we come to you tonight and thank you for the truth that we have in Christ. I'm thankful for the freedom that was purchased for us on the cross of Calvary. Thankful that our sins have been forgiven. And I'm thankful for the grace that has been poured out on our lives that now we are grafted in. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All the promises belong to us not because of what we have done, but because of your mercy. I pray that, Lord, if there's any among us that are dealing with bondage, I pray that we would cast it aside and rest in the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. I pray if there's anyone who is still bound to their sin, they've not been saved, their sins have not been forgiven, they're not a citizen of that heavenly Jerusalem. I pray that they would understand tonight that it's not by the works of their own flesh, but it's by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So just please work and help us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. take a few moments here to consider what God has said to us tonight through his word.